turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21. We will, we will be reading, our main focus this morning is verses 41 through 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give, excuse me, 43 through 45. Thus the Lord gave Israel to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. They took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for this day. We are thankful, Father, that you keep your promises to us even when we are not always faithful to you. Please forgive us of our sins. We thank you for your promises that we may know no matter uh, how, th- uh, how bad things get in our own eyes that we do not have to lean on our own understanding, but we can lean on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The most important thing about Bible interpretation is is the is context. Much of the time, we can just uh, read the things that are around the, a particular passage and kind of get uh, the context of what the author is saying. In this case, however, if we were to look at the context. To, to read the, the entire context of these three verses, we would have to go back and start, at the very least, at chapter 13. And maybe even as, back, as far back as uh, chapter 1, and I figured y'all wanted to get out in time, in time before supper. So what I'm going to do is I'll just summarize what ha- what's happened up until this point. Uh, in chapters 1 through 12, we have the conquest of Canaan, and we have uh, Joseph, uh, excuse me, Joshua, leading the Israelites into the Promised Land, where they defeat all the enemies that are uh, before them. And even with they have some hiccups along the way with some uh, sin and rebellion, but they still did uh, what. Uh, what God had given them to do. Also, and so in verses 13, the entire land had been conquered. So beginning in chapter 13, God begins to divide the land up uh, amongst the nation of Israel. And so that's all that uh, between 13 and up until this point, uh, that's what has happened. They fought the battles, and now uh, they, the land had been divided up into the 12 tribes. And this leads us to this passage this morning, which summarizes the first 21 chapters in the th- three verses we just read. These are powerful words. These are powerful and completed promises. These are the acts of an all powerful God. 
the idea that dominates the entire book of God, uh, the entire book of Joshua, is the faithfulness of God to his promises. God proved over and over again his faithfulness to his promises. And I, I like uh, this definition of promises that I ran across uh, while I was uh, studying for this. It says, the promises of God are rock-solid, unequivocal commitments made by God Himself. Because God is faithful, the recipients of the divine promises can have full assurance that what God has pledged indeed will be realized. The Israelites had overcome overwhelming odds to get where they are, where these three verses are written, they had not overcome them by their own doing, however, but by the grace and the mighty hand of Yahweh. We learn in uh, Joshua 12 that between the leadership of Moses and Joshua, the two combined leaders, they had defeated 31 kings. And many of these fights, they would have been considered a long shot underdog. And, and, and and it would be about like me uh, fighting uh, Mike Tyson or going head-to-head -head with Tiger Woods in the prime of their careers, or, or even now for, for that matter. But there, but there are some instances where the Israelites would have been seen as the favorite in the battle. And the problem was they knew it, it gave them overconfidence. They put their faith in themselves. And what happened was, they were defeated. The first battle of Ai is a prime example of that. They said, oh, Ai is a small town. We don't even have to send the whole army. Let's just send out a few thousand guys. We'll go up, we'll defeat them, and it'll be over with. But God wasn't in it. They, so what happens AI comes out and they just totally rout the nation of Israel, the army of Israel. So not only does the battle belong to the Lord, but so does the victory and the glory. I don't think, really think we really appreciate the miraculous preservation of God's people in the Exodus itself. We are dazzled by the seven plagues of Egypt, and, and rightly so. They were incredible acts of God's power that we're seeing. But as I was doing some research on this, I ran across uh, so the logistical nightmare this would have been under normal circumstances. Um, the, it's some numbers that some people who have come up with about what it would have taken in order to uh, 
lead these people, the, the supplies and everything it would taken. Given the estimated number of people who left Egypt, it would have taken 1,500 tons of food each day to feed them, which equate, equates to two freight trains a mile long in order to cook a, a, a mile long. Now, in order to cook that food, they would have needed wood. And that, and that, which have, um, that would have been 4,000 tons of wood a day they would have needed to cook. They were in the desert. How much wood can you find in the desert? It would have taken 11 million gallons of water for them to drink, them and their livestock. Again, they're in the desert. The, and given the number of people who crossed the Red Sea in one night in, on dry land, they walked across what would have been a three-mile-wide opening in the Red Sea, 5,000 people across in order to get everybody over in one night. Do you think Moses thought about this when he left Egypt? No, I'm sure that he didn't. And he, didn't know, he knew he didn't have to because God had proven himself faithful time and time again. And Moses knew God was going to keep His promises. These lessons are still true today. Regardless of the odds, the promises of God will come to fruition. All promises of God in Scripture have already been fulfilled or will be fulfilled. There is no failure by God to follow through on any of His promises. There's an old bumper sticker theology of God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, the fact whether you believe it or not has no bearing on whether it is settled. What God says, it has been settled. What God has ordained will come to pass no matter what obstacles we may see in the way. It used to be said a man's word was his bond. That a man was only as good as his word. There are still some people like that. I know some people in this auditorium that are like that. That if they tell you they're going to do something, they're going to do it. But in general, for society in general, I think we can safely say that is no longer the case. We may even know of people who are Christians who have, you see fruit in their lives, but, they're, but even they struggle in this one area. You know, that they may be lacking in trustworthiness when it comes to following through with promises. If we had all the politicians do what they had promised to do, we'd be living in some type of utopia right now. This morning, I would like to look at God's promises in these verses. We see these promises, they're sworn or spoken. 
His promises are specific and his promises are successful. Uh, back to verse 43. That, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. God's promise to Israel is a covenantal promise, not a contractual promise. There is a difference. A contract becomes void when one party fails uh, to deliver on their end of it. A covenant part promise will happen regardless. And we see this in God's promises. You know, time and time, the nation of Israel failed and they failed and they failed. And right here, God still uh, is still comes through with his covenant. You know, uh, if you don't think that a contract becomes void when you fail to deliver, then don't pay your mortgage for a couple months and see what happens. And yes, Israel failed multiple times, but yet God did exactly what he swore to them, what he swore to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, where he says, uh, 12, 1, I believe it starts. Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and to and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. Then uh, Yahweh appeared to Abraham after uh, Abraham and entered the land, and God tells him, To your offspring I will give this land. So God, right, he, he tells Abraham, he goes, you know, just leave everything, uh, you know, just leave, uh, leave, leave the country behind, leave your extended family behind. And so it was the first thing that Abraham does, Abram does, he says, well, come on, Lot, let's go. He, he gets his nephew to come with him. Right off the bat, he's already been disobedient. And, and we know what a real winner Lot turned out to be. But God remained faithful to the covenant. He, he makes the same promise to the Israelites in Deuteronomy. He promises not only to cover a nation, but individuals as well. He promised, he promised Abram a large family of descendants, which is, happens. And he promised Caleb to keep him alive to, to claim his inheritance. Which is exactly what happened. You know, we, we see this a lot of times we've, as we've been going through Jeremiah uh, about God doing exactly what he says he's going to do. In Jeremiah 31, even with all the idolatry and the evil acts of Israel, God says this, Thus says Yahweh, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for what they have done, declares Yahweh. And of course, we know those things cannot happen. So he is not going 
to cast off the nation, the offspring of Israel because of his promise. He then goes on to say how Jerusalem will be rebuilt and, and how the land that has been uh, desecrated will, be, will become holy because he says it will be holy. He later promises to destroy Babylon, which may have seemed impossible in the eyes of those in Jerusalem who looked out and saw an army as far as the eye could see and that had cut off all their supplies, all their food and their water. And But God says they will be defeated. And this leads us to his specific promises. There is nothing more amusing, sad, or enraging all at, all at the same time than the, the prosperity preachers who said they have a personal revelation from God, despite the fact that it is contrary to Scripture. I remember one of them saying a few months ago that God had told him that COVID-19 was not going to last as long as people thought. That's not very specific and gives the preacher an out because regardless of when it does end, he can say, see, I told you so. It wasn't going to last as long as most people thought, uh, as many people thought it, would, thought it would. My first thought was, no, you're going to, have to be more specific then that God's promises are specific. He tells us what exactly is going to happen. He doesn't always tell us how he's going to do it, but he gives us specific. God told Noah, I'm going to flood the earth, destroy all the living things, so build a boat for your family and animals to preserve. What happened? God flooded the earth, and all the living things died except for the ones on the ark. Jesus told Peter, in the New, Te in the New Testament, Jesus told Peter, uh, before the rooster crows, you will um, deny me, Three times. What happened? That's exactly what Peter denied him exactly three times before the rooster crowed. And so this here, the specific of this, it, it fulfilled the promise here in verse 44 that goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 22 through 24. Yahweh your God will clear away those nations before you Little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But Yahweh will give them over to you and throw them into a great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand, and he shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. This promise was made decades before. This is toward the end of Joshua's reign. He, 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 he ruled, uh, he led Israel for 20 years. He's, not, he's on his way out. He, he is getting closer to death. And so this would have been made decades and decades before when they were still wandering in the wilderness. But yet, it happened exactly like God said it was going to happen. In the New Testament, there are 750 promises. One in particular I want to mention this morning is 1 John 2, 
Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you hear from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. We are promised eternal life by abiding in Christ. We abide in Christ by the work of Christ, not by our own doing, because being left to do so, we would fail miserably. Let's remember that when our world is crumbling, let's remember that when our world is crumbling around us, whatever, regardless of what happens, we are promised eternal life. In verse 45, we see, read about the success of it. And what a powerful verse this verse 45 is. Not one word of all the God of all the good promises that Yahweh made to Israel had failed. All came to pass. God gave them protection. God gave them peace. In these particular instances, this was a physical protection and a physical peace. And while it might be good to think about physical uh, protection and the peace that is the absence of conflict, you know, He may choose, and He may choose to do so. God may choose to do that for us, but God gives us something far greater, spiritual protection and peace. Philippians 4, 4-7 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. <clears throat> Again, I say, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace guards our heart, that's the protection, and our minds, that's the peace. If, when, and for how long God gives us physical protection is, and peace is totally at His discretion. Spiritual protection and peace, though, have been promised to us. We have already heard me list several promises that were successfully fulfilled. And we go on and on and on. The, the good news is that we can see it here in black and white. And we can also see it unfolding before our own eyes. Think about it. Think about all the promises we have talked about this morning. None of them were simple events that could have been easy to predict. None of them were logical, con logical conclusions to the events of the day. Now let's think about our own lives. Do we have greater needs or obstacles to overcome than the people we have mentioned this morning? Have you had an enemy army, as far as I could see, camped outside your front door? Yet we have God's promises to sustain us, it's all because of God's faithfulness. Just as we read in the call of worship this morning from 2 Timothy, 
Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is a trust. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is faithful because it is in his perfect nature. Can we honestly say, I've sacrificed for God and, and he's let me down, or I've given to God and he's abandoned me? Of course not. It can be so hard to go through these things we don't understand. We don't understand how, how God can allow certain things to happen. It is during these times our trust, our faith, and our hope must increase. John Bunyan said, As your faith is, such your hope will be. Hope is never ill when faith is well, nor strong if faith be weak. I never remember the world being more chaotic in my lifetime than it is right now. And it may just seem easy just to throw, up, throw our hands up. But we must remember that God is the promises of God, that He will always be there for us. We talked quite extensively this morning about what God has promised this morning. But let's talk about a moment for what He hasn't promised. God has not promised us good health, and He has not promised us wealth. He has not promised us a life free of conflict, but just the opposite. He said it will cost us everything to follow Him. There is something else that God has not promised, and this one may scare us most. He has not promised us tomorrow. In James 4, 13-17, the Word of God says, Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say that the Lord wills we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Sinner, believe what in what God has promised He will do. My prayer for you is that God will quicken your soul and that you would believe in Him, realizing without Christ you have no standing before God. Saints, believe in what God has promised. He will do. Let us lay, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated <coughs> at the right hand of the throne of God. <coughs> I do want to end this morning on one final promise. <coughs> And it is a kind and it's, it is kind of appropriate. It's at the end because the promise is found in Revelation chapter twenty two, verse twenty, the next to the last verse in the Bible. 
He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That is a promise we're treasuring in our heart, knowing all the heartaches, the sadness, the disappointments of this life will be a thing of the past. Let's also remember that nothing has happened, though, that has not been outside the realm of God's control. The God who proved Himself faithful to Israel will prove Himself faithful to His people of every generation. He will never fail to keep His promises. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank You so much for the promises that You have given us. Father, Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, that uh, there's, uh, Father, that You would draw people to Yourself this morning. Lord, I pray Lord, that uh, for those of us who are already, Father, Your children, Father, that we would remember, Father, the promises that You have made for us that no matter the odds, what, what the odds may look like, God, You are still in control. And Father, we just love You, Lord. We trust You, Father, Lord. And we know that You will do, Father, what uh, in us, Father, what will bring You glory. Father, we give us thank You so much for Your love. And Lord, just thank You for all that You do for us. For Jesus' name we pray. Amen.